0: ICE Theatres, the market's most immersive and high-end premium format. Because the light shall be treated like sound coming from everywhere. Discover the ICE Theatres experience and embark on an immersive odyssey beyond reality. ICE Theatres, meet us at CinemaCon with 2617A.
1: As we look at CinemaCon, the last week of April, is really a turning point where the schedule of films from now to the end of the year is dynamic. It's chock full of blockbusters, but it also has some good mid and small budget movies in the schedule as well. There's a film slate that appeals to every demographic and every genre. Um, we were so up and down, off and on in films during the pandemic that that the content or lack thereof, really hurt us as much during the pandemic as the pandemic itself.
2: This is the Box Office Podcast and its daily CinemaCon edition brought to you by ICE Theatres. I am your host, Daniel Luria, the Editorial Director of Box Office Pro, the only publication in North America exclusively dedicated to covering theatrical exhibition. Joined this week by our co-hosts from Las Vegas, we've got Rebecca Pauly, Deputy Editor at Box Office Pro, and Sean Robbins, Chief Analyst at Box Office Pro. In today's edition of the podcast, we've got a feature interview with... John Fithian, President and CEO of the National Association of Theater Owners, and Charlie Rivkin, Chairman and CEO of the Motion Picture Association. An interesting conversation to kick off a week that the entire exhibition industry has been looking forward to. Almost for a year now, the last edition of this event happened only in August, but the sector is now revitalized with a string of hits Having come and gone from theaters, we're set to see a lot of new innovations at the trade show floor, a lot of presentations from leading studios, and let's get started because the day starts early here in Las Vegas at Caesars Palace, beginning at 8.30 a.m. with the international keynote address. From the exhibition side, we have Alejandro Ramirez Magaña the CEO of Cinepolis, Mexico's largest circuit, speaking on behalf of exhibition to kick off the event, followed by, from the distribution side, Stephen O'Dell, the president of Sony Pictures Releasing International. Following that, we will have special remarks by Laura Ulgat, the CEO of Unique, the trade body representing European movie theaters. Laura is going to be speaking on the recovery of the European cinema sector. At 9.45, we have a couple of International Day seminars, beginning with a session on the French reset, the changes in the media chronology laws happening in France today. Laura is going to be speaking with Richard Petrie, the CEO of the French Theater Owners Association. Find out how they are reacting to the sudden change in France's exclusivity window, one of the most strict exclusivity windows around the world. That is followed by a 10.30 a.m. blockbusters or bust covering the programming challenges that we are facing here in the exhibition industry where it seems like the only things getting through to audiences are these big superhero movies. We're going to have a number of panel members joining us to talk about the other programming options available to movie theaters. And at 11.30 a.m., an international filmmaker roundtable with a special guest phoning in live, still in production actually, Denis Villeneuve, the Academy Award-nominated director of Dune. He's going to be joining via teleconference alongside Dune producer Mary Parent and president of international theatrical distribution at Warner Brothers, Andrew Cripps. That's the afternoon, a really packed day here at CinemaCon. Ending up with the afternoon sessions where we will have some guest speakers from outside of the World of Exhibition. Hamza Khan, a future of work expert, giving a talk on the future of leadership here as cinemas reopen. Start dealing with a lot of those staffing and HR issues we've been seeing across a number of industries. And of course, capping off the day's panels at 4 p.m., New revenue streams via gaming and esports, a panel looking at what gaming and esports can bring to movie theaters to fill those gaps on the programming schedule. Finishing up the day's agenda at 6.30 p.m. at the Coliseum, Sony is kicking off all of the studio presentations this week with their own two hour long session previewing some of the latest titles they've got coming up on their slate in 2022 and beyond but enough in this big monologue me going over the daily schedule Rebecca Sean it's great to be with you guys Rebecca let's start from your perspective going into this year's event what are the biggest questions you have about the industry and about CinemaCon 2022?
3: You and I were speaking to John Fithian for a conversation that's going to be uh, later on in this very podcast episode, and we were talking about just the sheer number of films that are going to be presented across the various studio presentations over these next four days. It is a lot of movies. (laughs) Just as a movie fan, it's, it's it's a horn of plenty, and I'm excited to see how movie theaters
4: navigate it. What
2: is a horn of plenty? I've never in my life heard of this, uh, this
4: thing. Sean, can you help me out? that's a new one, one on me too. Uh, yeah, I'm what, curious. A, okay, <laughs> we do we'll, not we'll know what that.
2: horns are. No, no, we're keeping horns of plenty because <laughs> we a, need if, one of our listeners to tell us what a, a horn of plenty is.
3: It's a cornucopia.
2: All oh. right, I'll 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 take a cornucopia. That, okay, Let's that, that go makes with sense. thinking yeah. <laughs> just showing off with the, uh, with, the <laughs> with the sayings here. <laughs> Sorry, it's, it's, we're still trying to to get our feet under us. But I guess Sean, from from your end of the conversation, of course, this is something that you're looking at very closely. The number of titles hitting the market. How audiences are going to react. And one of the first questions that we're beginning to get data points on here in theatrical is if audiences can support two major wide releases on the same weekend. Is that something that you expect to be answered here at CinemaCon, or what are you principally looking for at this year's event?
4: I think we might get part of the answer, and by that I mean we actually have to to see it play out, but I think what we'll find out from CinemaCon will will be that volume of content, and as we get into the summer especially and into the fall again, we're going to start seeing more and more of those movies releasing each weekend. Instead of just one, we'll get to a point where we have two or three relatively high-profile titles. They won't all be blockbusters by any means, but... So it's, it's the first question will be answered of, is the content going to be there? We should know that pretty well by the end of CinemaCon. And then from there, it's just watching it play out at the box office in real time throughout the rest of this year. But it really has to start with studios putting movies on the screen.
3: To that end, I'm, uh, I'm really pumped, actually, for the uh, the 9.45 a.m. session today, Blockbusters or Bust, that kind of goes over that exact issue of the diversity of content and, and how are we relying too much on tentpoles? Um, how can how can smaller, different, more diverse films kind of make their uh, stake their position, stake their claim to theatrical space? So that's that's one of the panels that I'm that I'm really looking forward to.
2: Yeah, I think it's it's interesting here because one of my I guess light criticisms I have of the event is that when it goes to the panels, sometimes I feel what is being said at this event is more towards uh, let's say show a sign of solidarity. It's a show of strength as opposed to actually sitting down and figuring out problems that the industry has. Personally, I feel those panels that you go in and you solve problems, you work through issues, those are panels that usually happen in the regionals that happen throughout the year. And CinemaCon just ends up being a a good opportunity to sort of check in, share best practices, share things where you can improve as opposed to just address Issues that are that are wobbling the industry a little bit.
3: I mean, it, it is definitely a love fest, and I'm sure uh, Tom Rothman is going to be car- carted into the uh, <laughs> in, into the uh, Coliseum on a on a bed of roses, being fanned by. I mean,
2: just like a like 15 Spider Men carrying him, you know, on their yes, on his yes. shoulders, <laughs> and just like. Uh, Confetti falling upon him as he enters the CinemaCon presentation.
3: I mean, t- typically, it's a, Chris Aronson who has the big entrance. The big, big intro, entrance, right, right Paramount. from
2: Paramount. Yeah, and formerly at Fox, those were always entertaining. But you're right, Rebecca. I think looking back at what we can take away from last year's CinemaCon was the number of studios that showed up in person and that showed up ready to really engage with exhibitors. We didn't see that from everybody. Disney didn't even show up. They they sent a a print of Shang-Chi where the cast, basically on their own in a video introduction, very proudly said, hey, we can't wait for this to be in movie theaters and we're so proud it's exclusive to theaters. So there were a lot of question marks, I think, for studio presentations last year. This year, it's probably going to be a return to normality. I think there's going to be more to celebrate because we just really didn't know what was going to happen last year. Now, that being said, I, I think... It's, it's probably best if we go over on a studio by studio basis and just talk about what we would like to see from the studio presentations this year. And maybe we can finish the conversation, Rebecca, by some of, with talking about some of those industry themes, so some of those industry technology, trade show themes that we're looking forward to, to seeing outside of the Coliseum. But let's start with Sony. Sean, as a movie fan, forget even being a box office analyst. What would you like to see from Sony tonight?
4: I think tonight, looking at what Sony has planned for this year, they have a lot of films that we haven't really seen marketing for. And a lot of it is going to be either original content or adaptations. And those are those are the movies that we haven't seen come back enough yet. We've had Spider-Man. We've had Uncharted. But looking at their calendar, they have Where the Crawdads Sing. They have Bullet Train. They have A Man Called Otto and the Whitney Houston biopic later in the year. And if we start seeing some contents, maybe some rough footage from these movies, that will give some reassurance that they are going to come out this year because we are kind of at the point in 2022 where if movies aren't being filmed yet, even smaller ones, the risk of those being delayed kind of becomes more prominent. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what they have to offer in terms of that mid to lower profile content that we've been talking a lot about.
3: Daniel, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I believe, did they premiere some bullet train footage last year at CinemaCon? They And, did. and it was really good looking. I wonder how many just repeat trailers are going to see this year.
2: Yeah, that's a good question, right? I think it's going to be a little bit disappointing. But to what Sean was saying, as long as there's footage out there, I'm going to feel confident. When I start feeling a little bit shaky is yes, whenever I see storyboards and then a release date that's a surefire indication that that's probably not going to come out for another year.
3: So the bad guys, that was the case with the bad guys uh, last year and that is actually coming out.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And we've had that a couple of times and you know, I I say that, but there's been times where, you know, those storyboards end up being quite impressive. I, I can think of when we got our first look at Aquaman a couple of years back at CinemaCon, there was just a lot of conceptual art and that seemed to be an exciting project. But then there are those projects that you take a first glimpse at them, you think they're going to be good, and then you get really surprised. I remember when Universal uh, had, was it Jennifer Hudson, Sean, that came on stage and performed Memory from Cats? It was something like that. It it was like a live (laughs) performance, and everyone was like, wow, Cats is going to be the musical when it comes out. It ended up being the musical, but just for uh, entirely different reasons. So those surprises, that's always the the interesting part of this, right? Figuring out what's hype, figuring out what we can see enough of to sort of discern if these things are going to hit with audiences or not. Let's move over to that Tuesday uh, set of presentations because we've got Neon actually following up the State of the Industry presentation on Tuesday morning. Do we at all know what we can expect from Neon this year? It's always hard to, to say with specialty outfits like this, when so much of it depends on a film's reception in the festival scene?
3: I'm just looking forward to being surprised. I mean, Spencer is one of my favorite films of last year. I I, I trust Neon, but yeah, there's not really um, much that is on my radar in terms of what they might present there. There's the new David Cronenberg that the trailer just came out. They're distributing that. I'm really looking forward to that. It looks body horror and just disgusting so i can't wait
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah same here I, I think when we look at studios like neon which i would compare to something like a24 even focus features to an extent it's always those studios that that bring a lot of content you, you haven't maybe even heard of before at cinema con and that's when we start to get an idea of oh this this or that could be a sleeper hit i remember a few years ago seeing the first uh footage for black Klansmen and just immediately kind of realizing, wow, this is something nobody's even heard of yet. And it's going to be a hit at, on some level when it comes out. And that was because of, of an unveiling at CinemaCon. So I think Neon uh, will probably bring something kind of like that.
2: Yeah, I'm very curious to see how that turns out. From the specialty outfits, that's, that's always a really, really interesting perspective. Um, what was it? A couple of years back that Amazon Studios brought a very violent scene <laughs> from the Suspiria remake during mm-hmm. a lunch session, everybody stopped eating. One. Yeah. I mean, oh. it's the scene, it's that dance scene where that poor woman gets pretzeled to yeah. death. Uh, that was happening during when we lunch? were eating our, oh, like, <laughs> yep. rubber chicken lunch. Dude. Like, it was it was bad. I think nobody stuck around for dessert. But uh, that, that actually at least turned me onto the movie. I was like, all right, I, I appreciate them doing that during the lunch session. And yeah, as we're talking about with these specialty outfits, when they come in with these early footage, uh, looks, previews, you can always get excited uh, for one reason or another on on what they've got coming on throughout the year. But let's move on now to Warner Brothers that's going to be presenting on Tuesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Pacific over at the Coliseum. Uh, Warner Brothers, maybe, uh, I don't know, I mean, a mixed reception last year uh, from a studio sense. Obviously I think exhibitors were very thankful that Warner Brothers was the only studio to stick to release dates in the first half of the year but by the second half of the year you know the box office with that day and date strategy not really working out for those guys they're back this year they're known as a very exhibitor friendly studio a very filmmaker friendly studio what do you expect the reception to be with their slate this year Sean
4: I'm very interested to see how this one plays out for the reasons you just mentioned. I mean, this is the year they go back to the theatrical model exclusively, and they had a number of, you know, very high profile movies like Dune last year and and a couple of DC films. And we've already seen the Batman do well this year, but looking at the slate, I do wonder what their real powerhouse is for the, for the rest of this year and going into early next year, because they, they have things like Elvis, which will be a big test of the older movie-going audience coming back this summer. DC's League League of Super Pets, I think that could be a late summer hit. But also things we haven't seen previews of yet, like Salem's Lot, which is slated for September, in kind of that traditional, now traditional post-summer horror window that Warner Brothers has had a lot of a lot of success with. Uh, I think something like that, and and maybe even some some announcements, because they actually have a few movies on the calendar that don't even have a title yet. So I would expect to see some of those. Uh, stakes claimed. Rebecca, on your end?
3: Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm looking forward to to Salem's Lot. I'm a I'm a big fan of that book. The DC universe, I've never uh, gotten so much into. So, I mean, like you said, I'm I'm more interested, I guess, in those moments where Warner Brothers gets weird and lets filmmakers like, get a little <laughs> bit weird. I mean, that's why they're they're a studio who I I, I tend to kind of like some of their stuff. I know it's uh, probably way too early to get uh, anything regarding the Mad Max Fury Road sequel Furiosa, but but that just means I'll have to go back next year.
2: (laughs) Oh man, I'd
4: love to see that. That would be, that's
2: probably number one on my wish list at CinemaCon 2022.
4: I would met yeah, you mentioned DC. I didn't even, think, I, I completely forgot, to, I neglected to mention like Black Adam and the Shazam sequel, which is now right. a 2022 movie. I would figure those will feature prominently. And
3: you have The Flash, but then like the, the star of The Flash just recently got arrested. I, it's, yeah, yeah. we
2: don't know what's going to happen there. But that's, I yeah. think, another big curiosity for us. What are we going to see from The Flash after all those, uh, let's say, production headaches that they've been going through For me, I can tell you right now, if Mad Max prequel is number one on my wish list, number two on my wish list is going to be Dune 2 footage. Yep. I don't Mm -hmm. know if we're going to get to see it. Last year, we got to see a a good bit of Dune in terms of advanced footage. Uh, Denis Villeneuve was not present. Remember, Denis Villeneuve last year had gone out and very aggressively criticized the studio for their decision to put Dune day and date I was very curious to see what was going to happen at that Warner Brothers presentation last year. Denis Villeneuve did a video address. It guys, I'm sorry. It, it it looked like a hostage video. The guy was just reading prepared remarks from a piece of paper. Was very very dry, very very you know direct and to the point. He's going to be uh, phoning in uh, via satellite to CinemaCon later on in the week to speak uh, in a roundtable conversation. Along with uh, Mary Parent, one of the stu- one of the uh, producers uh, for uh, for the Dune sequel, so I'll be very interested to see how open he is in addressing some of those concerns.
3: Yeah, that panel is uh, actually it's uh, this morning, right after that Blockbusters are Bust panel. So we're going to wow. Be so it's there, Monday
2: uh, Monday morning. We'll be able to get uh, Denis Villeneuve uh, unscripted, uh, hopefully.
3: Hopefully so.
2: Yeah, well, uh, that's, I guess, on on our priority list. Uh, A good bit of titles and momentum there for Warner Brothers. And then moving on to Wednesday morning, we've got uh, Disney. Wow. I mean, if you talk about question marks, if you talk about not really knowing what to expect here, Disney has probably the biggest movie in the coming weeks uh, ready to come out exclusively to theaters with the doctor strange sequel but the last movie that they were supposed to come out with they actually sent to disney plus that was turning red from pixar and created a massive massive gap in that q1 box office sean
4: what are your questions for that disney presentation
2: on wednesday morning
4: uh, we could have a whole show just on this yeah, by itself. Yeah, uh, it's I don't even know where to start. Obviously, Marvel top of mind. They go into uh, summer at the end of CinemaCon with a big Marvel movie, as they've done so many times in the years past. Uh, I would imagine with the new Thor trailer coming out recently that that will feature prominently. I'm I'm curious to see if they make any big announcements regarding the slate because the Black Panther sequel has been dated in november for a while and since then some things have moved around uh, particularly the dc movies so i wonder if that gets a bump or maybe even a delay because of some production issues on that end i'm you know outside of marvel i would like to see something about the new david O. russell movie which has been on the calendar for this year for quite a while to my knowledge i don't even think it has a title yet uh, but it is one of those searchlight pictures that disney has control of and so many other things. They have an original animated movie coming out this this holiday season called Strange World. I would imagine we'll see something from that. Uh, yeah, I mean it's it, it'll probably be mostly Marvel, but I would hope to th- I would like to think that they'll they'll talk a lot about these other movies, which I'm sure a lot of people will do too. Correct
3: me if I'm wrong. We don't actually have any named Pixar films on the calendar at this point. We have an untitled one coming up next year. Um, I would just be curious if, if they'll speak to that—the fact that they've pushed their last three Pixar films. To disney plus it's it's a decision that i i i'm just i'm curious what the mood in the room will be just in general yeah. aside from all that
2: and so at cinema con presentations they usually give out like water and popcorn for people going into the coliseum as long as they don't hand out like tomatoes and oranges i think they'll be safe because i i, <laughs> I do think there is a lot of um let's say concern let's put it nicely concern from the exhibition community at how these Pixar movies have been treated by the studio.
4: Yeah, and Lightyear, you're exactly right, Rebecca. Lightyear is the only one. After that, I, there, there's nothing really officially on the theatrical slate. I would I would like to think that they'll maybe have some Star Wars announcements. They've kind of let that brand rest, uh, at least theatrically. And then also, Indiana Jones. Uh, that film has essentially finished most of its filming, I think, and it's not going to come out until next year. But it's it's the kind of movie that even though it's a a little over a year out in past cinema cons, we would expect to see some kind of a tease because of how big of a brand it is. Uh, That's on my personal wish list just to see a little bit. I don't want too much, but I just want to I just want to know that movie exists. You just
3: want to see the hat and the whip and the jacket.
4: Yeah.
2: yeah. (laughs) Well, talking about seeing movies that we don't know if they exist or not or if they will ever exist. 6 years ago at CinemaCon during the 20th Century Fox presentation James Cameron comes on stage in person and announces Avatar 2 will be in theaters at the end of 2018 huge round of applause at Avatar 2 hitting screens in 2018 nobody nobody could believe it and then he doubles down and says not only that Every year after 2018, so that means 2019, 2020, we're gonna have a new avatar sequel to pack your screens. Six years later, uh, we haven't even had a whiff of this movie. It's it's Eldorado. I don't know if this thing exists or not.
3: <laughs> you know How what? much I, pressure I admire the enthusiasm?
2: <laughs> How much pressure do you guys think there is on forget Disney <laughs> just Cameron to show an update here? We haven't heard anything from this title, there's a lot of folks wondering if this is going to stick to its release date.
3: We've seen some kind of green screen footage, you know, uh, shots of behind the scenes type stuff. So we at least know they're, uh, you know, they are filming it. I don't know. Does James Cameron feel pressure to get Avatar out in time without moving dates? I feel like James Crusher I feel like James Cameron has been feeling pressure like for every movie he ever does. And he always hits it out of the park. (laughs) So I I feel like he's going to, he's going to do what (laughs) he's going to do and it's going to work out well.
4: Yeah. That's my gut feeling too. I I don't know. I don't know what to expect or even if to expect another avatar movie can have the impact that the first one had, but who could have predicted what that did? I mean, maybe there is, maybe this is the big, announcement we get at CinemaCon, not just maybe footage of the film but exactly what he's been doing for the last decade and <laughs> and maybe something he's developed uh, who knows uh, it's just that's one of kind of the great mysteries i'm looking forward to finding out about
2: yeah uh myself as well i i do expect there to be something in the way of just addressing the avatar 2 in the room it's not even the elephant at this point <laughs> we just call it avatar 2 but let's uh let's move on now to the wednesday afternoon session we've got universal pictures and focus features presenting universal coming with uh probably one of the best studio presentations at least it was my favorite last year it was remote but filmmakers and stars went uh on screen at you know, the big screen uh there at the coliseum introduced their projects and introduced their favorite movie theaters it was something that I think meant a lot at CinemaCon 2021. I think there's going to be a lot of goodwill for this studio, and I'm excited to see what they've got coming up
4: this year.
3: I just want to see something from Nope, the new Jordan Peele alien abduction. That's, I'll be happy.
4: It's so, it's so interesting because I look at their summer slate and they are really well situated with movies like nope and jurassic world and minions universal is going to be a major player in this summer comeback of 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 families and horror fans and then we get into that back end of the year where you know i, I hope to see maybe some footage from the fabelmans the semi-autobiographical spielberg movie things like that that as we get into the later part of the year maybe mario the animated film uh,
2: of course universal being the studio that puts out global blockbusters that don't have superheroes in them. It's a unique challenge. It's a unique challenge in the industry today. It's always interesting to see how they work around that. And that is gonna be happening on Wednesday afternoon. And now moving on to Thursday morning, we've got Paramount Pictures.
3: If I could, Daniel, I I just want to focus, also has their presentation after. uh... How did
2: I forget focus? My bad, let's forget focus.
3: They have an upcoming film that's coming out this summer that uh, is called Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. And it is a like women of a certain age gallivanting about in the 30s in Paris. (laughs) Um, And that is, to a T, my sort of movie.
2: It's hard for them to come in as a specialty outfit with a lot of footage when they are so award season oriented this this early in the year but maybe we'll also get to see another extended look at the Downton Abbey sequel which has been uh you know it's it's on track to be the next Avatar 2 uh we'll see maybe one of these years we'll get to see uh whatever happens to the, to the Downton Abbey gang.
3: It's the Avatar 2 of lovely 30s clothes. That's,
2: which in itself is also Rebecca Pauly demographics. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, now let's, uh, let's change things up slightly, going from Downton Abbey 2 to Top Gun 2. Top Gun Maverick screening in its entirety at the Paramount presentation on Thursday morning. I gotta be honest with you guys, I don't really get the appeal of, of this movie. Uh, I'm Definitely not its demo, but we did a reader's poll here of our readers and exhibition. We had over 165 responses from people working in movie theater chains around the world. Top Gun Maverick came out as the most anticipated movie of 2022 as voted by exhibitors. Paramount is also presenting other footage. What are you guys looking forward to here from Paramount?
3: Well, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, as a, as a, well, actually, actually, this probably does relate to fancy 30s clothes. Um, Damien Chazelle has a new movie coming out, uh, Babylon, that actually, excuse, a bit earlier than 30s, but, you know, very old Hollywood, um, feels like La La Land in that sense, the appreciation of that era of filmmaking. Didn't really like La La Land, but I have uh, better hopes for this one. So that's something that I'm excited for
2: my in-laws <laughs> have never forgiven me since i passionately described why i hated la la land i think i scared them off from having a conversation with me about movies since. but i hear you on the la la land side not at all for me but the movie that came after first man guys that movie was awesome oh, that was so, so good, good.
0: Loved, so yeah. it was great Loved first I, man. like that
2: was a great example of a filmmaker who makes a movie that i really don't respond to and then just follows up with something that is just. Incredibly good.
3: I mean, this movie you got—you got people playing Charlie Chaplin, Clara Bow, jo- Brad Pitt as John Gilbert. Come on now.
2: Uh, I don't know. It's it's a toss up with chiselle How about on your end, Sean?
4: Yeah, Babylon's high on my list as well. I think the, since the first time I saw Whiplash, I've just intensely followed every project he's involved with. Uh, Top Gun, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely in the audience for that. I'm a little bit younger, I think, than its quote-unquote target audience. I think that's like... Gen Xers No, nah, man, that's a dad movie. That's a dad that's, movie, true yeah. and true. Don't even start. We know what it <laughs> like, is. We know what it yeah, is. Yeah, exactly. And I think the fact that they're screening it says a couple of things. One, they're confident in it. They they want theater owners to see that it's finally coming out this summer. But it also tells me that, and I kind of also picked this up just by looking at the calendar, they don't have a lot of movies left this year after that. They have some here and there, but that's, that's arguably their highest profile one. But I look at 2023 and maybe we get some previews of things like Dungeons and Dragons, Transformers, Mission Impossible 7, you mentioned. Maybe we get some news on the Star Trek franchise, which kind of keeps bubbling up every few months, but there hasn't been a movie in six years now. That's a, that's a major IP for Paramount. And that's, that's kind of a question that really surrounds them, similar to Sony, is where are their franchises right now? And that'll probably be something we get a little hint of, I think, in their presentation.
2: And we've heard grumblings about changes in- in strategy and in direction at the studio, we, we've heard that in the background through the other trades, that Paramount might be looking to prioritize their streaming service, Paramount Plus, more in the coming years. And that is precisely what I need to find out. And I think what we all want to find out from Paramount at CinemaCon 2022: What do they have coming up, other than what we know they've had coming up for the last three years? Uh, And let's uh, go to the last presentation of the week, but it's not going to be the last studio we talk about because there's one bit of conversation to have after we talk about Lionsgate that's going to be presenting at 2.45 p.m. on Thursday afternoon. Lionsgate, of course, opening a film uh, at this point on April 22nd, a couple of days uh, before the release of this episode, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, starring Nicolas Cage, Ask himself a movie that was, uh, let's say, previewed a little bit. We saw the trailer for the first time at CinemaCon 2021. Fantastic response there. What to expect from these guys? I can tell you right now, off the bat, give me my John Wick trailer. I want my John Wick trailer, and I'm good after that. Yeah, <laughs> I have to wait till Thursday to get it, but that's what I want.
4: I don't know what to expect from Lionsgate. Honestly, I really don't. I mean, John Wick is is their franchise, and that's coming out next year. Uh, I would expect to see maybe some early footage or if not a full trailer for Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. That's coming out in September. I think that could be one of those adaptations that does well theatrically. But yeah, there, there really isn't a lot on their calendar. So I'm very intrigued to see if maybe they announce some movies for this year or if they just really focus on, on next year and beyond.
2: Yeah, they went they went hard on the faith-based titles at last year's presentation and they had I think mixed results I think to be fair at the box office last year. I think you know, decent earners here domestically, just it was impossible to get any sort of breathing room in the market outside of Spider-Man. I think that was just what happened last year. So yeah, uh, a big curiosity here on what Lionsgate comes up with other than the big John Wick IP that they have. And we do have to talk about the two studios not presenting this year who usually have presented in previous years. Amazon Studios used to be known as a, let's say, specialty outfit, really, like an awards play. That's changed over the last two, three years. They've been buying big movies from studios, putting them on streaming. They've been a lot more streaming-focused recently. And then MGM United Artists, uh, a company that's been really, really theatrically focused since it came back. Uh, they were there at last year's event, showed footage from No Time to Die. Both those companies are now one company, a uh, massive, massive merger there. They're sitting this year out, and honestly, guys, I have to say, I hope they come in future years, but we don't know what MGM, United Artists, Amazon is, is going to look like from a theatrical or streaming basis moving forward. What I'm upset about is that means I don't get my Creed 3 footage, which is unacceptable. I show <laughs> up to CinemaCon every three years now to see some Creed footage. I'm going to have to wait. Um, what are your thoughts on uh, on what may happen there? What may shake out with that uh, Amazon MGM presence or lack thereof?
3: I really hope they don't just sort of take the MGM name and strip it for parts.
2: It's just, it's such a great brand to give up, like you mentioned Rebecca. Sean, they've got some really good IPs there. Do you have any concerns? Any questions there?
4: Yeah, uh, really just echoing what you both have said. I I would love to see something from Creed 3, which we won't. I would love to see something from 13 Lives, the Ron Howard adaptation of the Thailand Cave Rescue a few years ago. Uh, That's also an MGM UAR movie that that likely won't be at CinemaCon, barring some surprise somewhere. Uh, obviously bond is, is the big question mark. I, I, even if that studio were going to be at CinemaCon, I don't think we'd be hearing anything about James Bond for a couple of years. If it, it feels to me like even though ownership has changed the, the broccoli family, which still has such a significant responsibility and an authority on that brand will want to let the franchise rest a little bit before they recast and reboot. But, that's, that's really, to me, yeah, I would just really echo everything that you guys have said in terms of the uncertainty about what's going to happen with MGM. And of
2: course the other studio that's not presenting this year, but for very different reasons is STX Entertainment that really emerged as a place where mid-range movies could come out and thrive. They had a couple of stumbling blocks, like I think a lot of those distributors playing in that space tend to have. But right before the pandemic hit, look at the titles that they were coming out with. They had Hustlers. They had that Bad Mom series with a couple of sequels. They were getting some momentum. Um, that's another player that I'd love to see back at CinemaCon once we get more clarity on how these mid-range titles can perform. Sean, considering the success of titles uh, like Dog from MGM United Artists, titles like The Lost City from Paramount, these are the sort of titles that STX can be competitive with. No, I mean, do you yeah. do you expect a comeback from that company? Are the, are the business conditions there for players like STX to reemerge?
4: I hope so. I I think it it benefits the overall industry sphere to have studios like STX putting out that content and exactly like you mentioned something like dog or the lost city Channing Tatum movies The Ooh. STX can make <laughs> a ton of Channing Tatum movies I will go see them all a lot of people will yeah. and that will be their niche and they'll be fine but yeah in all seriousness I, I really I like the fact that they had been building so much momentum in recent years and they were they were getting all the creative partners that they needed they were getting stars they were they were getting directors and writers they just quite hadn't found their their consistency until right as the pandemic hit, and even then it was you know it was very challenging because they would still be going into crowded marketplaces a lot of yeah. the time.
2: So those are the questions, concerns, and uh, you know exciting moments that we're looking forward to hear from the studio and at the show. Closing up the conversation uh, real fast, Rebecca, because it's going to be a big part of our focus editorially coming out of Las Vegas. Uh, what are your questions when we talk about the theatrical industry as a whole? We know mergers and acquisitions are heating up. We've seen a major circuit like CGR in France announcing they're for sale. PLF is just being a huge source of investment from, from exhibitors everywhere. What do you expect the to learn about the industry this week,
3: I'm interested in what seems to maybe be kind of a developing schism in terms of amenities, in terms of the cinema experience. Where you mentioned PLF, um, that trend towards bigger, more, you know, if people are going to come back to the cinemas, they're going to come back and they're going to spend the surcharge to see it the best they possibly can. Then you also see the emergence of micro cinemas of private cinema rentals, which has kind of died off now at this point. I think. Obviously, no one's going to be running out private cinemas when they're filling uh, auditoriums with Spider-Man. But I would be interested to see the future of that concept and, and how that uh, that comes along. Basically, just because I want to rent a movie theater to see a movie <laughs> with my friends. But but no, I, I I don't want premiumization is wonderful, but I don't want that to be all there is. So I'd be interested right. in seeing what other options there are on the trade show floor that are maybe being shown off to exhibitors.
2: Yeah, I think I share that concern with you. I think there's a lot of focus right now on having a very modern movie theater with all the bells and whistles. How much is too much? At what point does the audience stop noticing? Um, And that's going to be very, very difficult to gauge. I think that's going to be one of the big questions we'll be tackling here in our publication in the coming weeks and months. So... Rebecca and I will be tackling that big question, not only from the fallout of the M&A side, but also what this uh, CapEx investment is gonna be looking like for the rest of the year. And you will also be hearing analysis from the Coliseum and those studio presentations from Sean Robbins throughout the entire week. And up next, we've got our vendor profile segment with one of our colleagues, Maureen Suttle, the Chief Product Officer over at the box office company we'll be talking about some of the innovations disruptions changes that she's been seeing from the vendor side specifically when it comes to reaching moviegoers and on the digital ticketing landscape rebecca sean thank you for joining us and now let's go to that message from our sponsor the box office company The box office company has developed the tools and services that empower you to take charge of your digital marketing. And they're excited to share their latest addition to the Boost ecosystem, Boost Food & Beverage. Boost Food & Beverage streamlines the purchasing process so concessions are always one tap away. Whether guests prefer to pick up concessions at the kiosk or have them delivered directly to their seats, Boost Food & Beverage lets them tailor their experience and even leave gratuity for service that keeps them coming back. Want to enhance your ticketing journey? Go to company.boxoffice.com boost or stop by booth 2107 Augustus Ballroom today. And we are here with Maureen Suttle, the chief product officer over at the Box Office company, which coincidentally is the parent company of Box Office Pro. Maureen, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here. You're one of my favorite coworkers and friends in the industry. I'm excited to chat. How's everything going?
5: I'm great. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for for the intro and always happy to to, uh, have a chance to chat with you as well.
2: Well, there's a lot to chat about here as we enter CinemaCon and, of course, being part of our corporate group over the box office company. I think this is probably a good time to explain what the box office company does apart from publishing Box Office Pro, which is the publication bringing you this podcast right here. Maureen, could you walk us through all the activities in the cinema space that the box office company is involved in?
5: Certainly. Um, it is often confusing because we do a lot on, on various parts of the business. So I'm going to try to clarify that a little bit. Um, so we, we're dedicated to innovating the box office through media tech and data. So on the media piece, we do that through Box Office Pro, as you mentioned. Um, we are also a source of uh, data for the movie industry. And what that means is, is we have a global database of movies, theaters and Showtime data covering 70 countries and in 25 languages. So we provide websites and mobile apps and online ticketing and uh, food and beverage solutions, etc.
2: So you are right there at the forefront of what we know as the second digital revolution here in the cinema industry, taking these e-commerce solutions, taking these big data solutions, turning them into software as a service uh, services <laughs> to, to be redundant and, uh, <laughs> and and help movie theaters and studios uh, find out how to best optimize their reach with moviegoers.
5: That's right. That's really the goal is, is to make sure that movie th- theaters can be found online you know people used to walk up to the the lobby of the theater and to find the 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 programming for the week and and learn about the movies playing now everything happens online so our goal is really to transform people's mobile phones into the new theater lobby
2: from your perspective looking at the entire digital landscape of that consumer relationship with the cinema marine what changed with covid for moviegoers
5: People were already going online to start their journey before the pandemic, but it has exploded since. And we can all see that in online ticket sales. Before it used to be 20% to 30% of of tickets in the US that were sold online. Now it's well above 50% for all of our customers. And
2: that's a massive change in these last two years, Marine, going from one out of five tickets being bought online to today coming out of the pandemic. Around half of them, around half of those moviegoer transactions happening on the internet. How does that work? Because we know there are established third-party ticketers out there. You have aggregators like Fandango, like Adam Tickets. But are moviegoers looking at other directions in their online moviegoing experience?
5: Absolutely. Um, search platforms play a huge role in that. Um, we know that about 20% of the tickets sold on an exhibitor's website come from Google alone. And that's not even looking at other platforms such as IMDb, for example. So the, the journey for searching for Showtime really starts online, on search platforms, drives people to the exhibitor's website. And we that's where we see a huge increase in ticket sales. Not only tickets, but also sale of e-gift cards, which has really grown also with the pandemic. And of course, food and beverage. A lot of customers of ours have gone through online concession sales for popcorn when that was the only thing that was open for a while. Uh, but it has continued since then with a real FNB and um, strategy behind.
2: That's so interesting in that it was one of the things I always hear from the operations side of exhibition, make sure that your concessions line is short because nothing turns a prospective client away from buying that, that concession if there's a really big line and they have to get to their seats, their showtime's about to start. What have you heard from uh, your clients in regards to having this F&B pre-order component? Has that really become more popular since Cinema's reopened?
5: It has. I mean, it still comes with some concerns from some exhibitors on the operational aspect of it, of how do the, the order, if somebody buys a ticket two days early, Online, how does the, the food order make it to the kitchen, for example, or to the concession stand so that the, the order is ready at the right time? But all of these problems have been solved. So a lot of, a lot of customers are, are looked into these solutions uh, with their point of sale system and with us to make sure that on an operational standpoint, it, it runs smoothly. And for us, the, the pandemic was really a chance to be able to focus on these things because In many ways, it was a slower time, theaters were closed, we didn't have as much maintenance and support to do, so we were able to focus our tech resources on our product development and and get ahead of that curve by bringing solutions that work for exhibitors. We created a customer success team, who is separate from the, um, the sales team in order to really focus proactively on bringing our customers to the right outcome which is, in the end, more ticket sales, but having the right solution in order to do that. And also separated that from a customer support team. So we really have now these three distinct uh, teams that were really kind of meshed into one before. Um, And it's really working well uh, to to support our customers the best way possible. We'll be at the booth 2107 in the Augustus Ballroom. And we'll be organizing for the first time this year, Open House, uh, which will take place on Wednesday afternoon starting at 2 p.m. on at the Neapolitan One uh, ballroom, which is pretty close to the registration desk right there in the trade show.
2: Fantastic. Well, I look forward to seeing you there in our team meetings in Las Vegas this week. And to our listeners, that is Maureen Suttle, the Chief Product Officer from the Box Office Company. You can find all the information on how to get in touch with the Box Office Company on our website, company.boxoffice.com. Thank you so much, Maureen.
5: Thank you, Daniel
2: and now let's hop on over to the feature interview segment of the episode what you guys have been waiting for our main course here an interview with charlie rivkin the chairman and chief executive of the motion picture association alongside john fithian the president and ceo of the national association of theater owners Charlie, John, thank you so much for joining us once again here to start off our week of podcasts at CinemaCon in Las Vegas. To our listeners, we're actually recording this a couple of days before we all make it out to Nevada for the annual event. So let's jump right into it with our first question looking at where the industry is today. Because as we gather for CinemaCon 2022, where Theatrical Exhibition is, as opposed to where it was in August of 2021, when we last spoke, there have been some major changes. I guess from your end, Charlie, to start off with, what have been some of your biggest lessons and takeaways from these past eight months?
0: Well, Daniel, first of all, thanks for inviting me back again. I, I can't wait to um, to uh, uh, you know attend uh, CinemaCon. It's one of my favorite things to do each year. And in answer to your question, I mean, this industry has sustained um, a rebound in twenty twenty two from one of the biggest challenges we face in the in the in the past hundred years of our existence. And we've proven yet again how innovative and how resilient we are as an industry. And just just to make a point, the MPA does this theme report every year. And we just came out with our theme report, which is research uh, for the global theatrical and home entertainment market. And it showed that we made great progress last year, reaching, almost $100 billion in, in consumer spending and surpassing 2019's value. And this industry remains as, as vital and as, as, as relevant economically and culturally as ever. Audiences are returning to theaters to see great movies. And at the same time, they're watching uh, content on streaming platforms. It is in so many ways, and we've said this before, the golden age of content. And that's because of the creativity and the innovation of this, Iconic industry, I think everyone here would agree. The economic benefits that we generate, the jobs that we support directly and indirectly, and the revenue we contribute to economies around the planet are rebounding and they're going to continue to grow. So we're real excited about this.
3: And John, from the perspective of the exhibitor over these past eight months, we've certainly uh, had some big theatrically exclusive hits that prove that the industry is not in fact dead. (laughs)
1: Yes, that's, that's right, Rebecca, and I'll join Charlie in saying thank you for having us both on today, and thank you for those of you coming to CinemaCon. We look forward to seeing you uh, at the screenings, on the trade floor, around the halls. It re- CinemaCon's coming at a very important time, and and this relates to Rebecca's question. You know, for theatrical, it's been a couple really hard years with the pandemic, uh, but, but we have seen very bright sites coming toward the end of that pandemic that show us promise for the future uh, spider-man third biggest grossing film domestically of all time um, and you know we're, we're seeing movies start to pop now in the family genre and in the older demographic which weren't really working well during the pandemic and so as as we look at CinemaCon, the last week of april is really a turning point where the schedule of films from now to the end of the year is dynamic. It's chock full of blockbusters, but it also has some good mid and small budget movies in the schedule as well. There's a film slate that appeals to every demographic and every genre. Um, we were so up and down, off and on in films during the pandemic that, that the content or lack thereof really hurt us as much during the pandemic as the pandemic itself, just because Charlie's members couldn't make a lot of money theatrically during the pandemic. But now they can. And now all of Charlie's members are coming back to theatrical releases uh, from now until the end of the year, theatrical releases with exclusive windows. And we couldn't be more excited about about the resurgence of the industry for the rest of this year.
2: And one of those insights that we saw at that MPA theme report of the last year that I was really happy to see was a very stable screen count in North America. We went from something like 44,000 screens in 2019 And coming in out of the pandemic, we're at around 43,000. I think that speaks to the success of both NATO and the MPA in making sure that cinemas can stay open and making sure that studios have the right business conditions to release these films. But let's look at that report on a big picture level, Charlie. What's in store for the industry this 2022? What major events and trends are you looking at from your perspective over at the MPA?
0: Well, look, what I'm looking at right now is a return to the global box office in a major way. We have a great lineup of studio films and you're going to get a taste of that obviously at CinemaCon. but you know what else I'm looking forward to? I'm looking forward to um, returning to these in-person full scale events. Um, I'm looking forward to at CinemaCon to seeing the international exhibitors who I didn't have a chance to see last year cause they weren't, they weren't there last summer. It felt great for me to be at the Academy Awards again. And walk the red carpet it was um wonderful i'm going to the correspondence dinner here in washington coming up in a couple weeks i'm going to attend the can film festival in may where i'm going to see a lot of my a lot of my friends so i'm just looking forward to a return to normal and a return to uh, you know some amazing years ahead
3: and john i mean last year CinemaCon. so happy to have been able to go to that it, it was a more uh you know muted celebration in terms of the people who could be there, the studios who were there, the vendors who could be there. You know, as you look at CinemaCon as this sort of congregation of all the different corners of the industry, um, domestically and globally, what are you looking forward to this year? What kind of trends do you see maybe on the vendor side, on the studio side, start to emerge?
1: Well, first, thank you for coming back in August. Uh, that, That was a difficult show to host. Uh, as we weren't done with the rises and falls of the pandemic yet, we held it successfully. People had a chance to get together, but it wasn't the full throttled excitement about the business that we're used to. Uh, the show next week looks like the full throttled CinemaCon of the past. And in every respect, right? we've got about 3,000 people signed up right now with another week or two of, of signups to come. Uh, that's substantially more than we had in, in August. Uh, every one of Charlie's uh, you know, uh, studios are bringing great content. They're bringing talent. They're bringing directors. High-level executives uh, from the major studios are coming at the highest level to show their support for the return of the theatrical experience and to discuss how the theatrical is an important piece in the pie uh, for them. Uh, the trade floor is going to be bristling again with lots of vendors, with exciting, innovative technologies on how we show movies. Um, and, and, and we're just we're so excited to have people back, optimistic in great numbers with a great show. So it, it's it's again, it's coming in a great time. The last thing I would say is that it's always great to have Charlie and the MPA there uh, as our supporting partners of this show. Charlie gets to meet with his teams and the international exhibitors and the domestic exhibitors. They really enjoy coming in and uh, networking with the MPA crowd. Um, and it's just a privilege to take the stage together when we can talk about the entire movie industry from beginning to end, right? Charlie and his team worked so hard through the pandemic to get the protocol to make movies again, and now they're fully making tremendous movies again. Our members worked very hard at getting those theaters open, and now they're all open. Uh, you mentioned the 43,000 screen count. We're very proud that we kept exhibitors alive during the pandemic and now they're ready to make money again. So we're, we're we're so excited about next week.
2: And of course, we have to talk about the longevity of cinema as a business, as an industry. We're approaching that period where a couple of associations and publications like our own and exhibitors uh, that John represents are turning 100. We had ours a couple of years back alongside AMC Theatres, and this year it's the MPA's turn. Charlie, with this year marking the 100th anniversary of the Motion Picture Association, as you look back, what are some of those landmark achievements, you would say, that the MPA has introduced to the industry at large over the last century? And what are your priorities for the years to come?
0: Well, Look, I got to say, we're really excited about this anniversary we're going to be celebrating all year. Um, We have been the voice and chief advocate of the film TV and now streaming industry now for a century. And it's funny, our, our physical location is a block away from the White House in Washington, D.C. That same location largely has been the home of the Motion Picture Association during that time. But the names of the name of our company has changed. The the physical building has changed. It was just recently renovated soup to nuts. But the mission remains the same. You know, we, we, uh, we throughout a century marked by enormous, uh, dramatic global change, we've consistently advocated on, on behalf of the industry. We've, we're committed to protecting content creators and ensuring that all voices are represented uh, around the world in that context. Our, our achievements over 100 years are too, uh, too great, to, 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 too long to mention, I think, in this short uh, podcast. I'll just throw out a couple. Um, number one, protecting copyright. We, we advocate for policies in every global market uh, that safeguard creators and their work. We protect creators and ensure that they're fairly compensated for their hard work, and that's a cornerstone of our mission. Uh, I'm really proud, John Fithian, that the MPA and, and NATO more than 50 years ago created the uh, Classifications and Rating Administration, CARA, the film rating system, which, which thrives to this day. Uh, and it um, lets families decide you know, which, uh, which movies are appropriate for them. It's an amazing system. And it's protected our creators from the grim specter, if you will, of government censorship. It's been very successful that way. Uh, fighting piracy remains a major, you know, something we've done over the last uh, century and continue to do and, and continue to do well. Uh, in 2017, we expanded our efforts by creating something called the Alliance for Creativity and entertainment, or ACE as it's known, uh, which has kind of a comprehensive uh, approach to targeting and and taking down um, piracy operations that pose an existential threat to uh, the creative economy. And um, we improve the economic landscape for our industry. We advocate for production incentives in the United States and around the world um, that create good, well-paying jobs and generate tax revenues for states and localities, we, we uh, support about 2.3 million jobs in all 50 states in the United States. We built a diverse pipeline, we're getting better at that, created a DE&I program 10 years ago to make sure that all voices are heard and authentically represented. And finally, we um, fight for global market access. Um, I got to say that uh, when our industry, our industry is always going to win when there's a level playing field. And so we advocate for free trade and low, and low uh, ter- barriers to entry. And we do all of this uh, consistently in a global way right now, because our industry is absolutely global.
3: John, I'd like to get your take on piracy as well as something that definitely affects both sides of the business. But first, I wanted to ask you, you know, NATO has also seen some some recent changes. I'm thinking specifically of the creation of the NATO Cinema Foundation, about which there will be a panel on Wednesday morning. Uh, very happy that, to hear more about that one. But Given the NATO Foundation, given changes NATOs have gone through, uh, you know, what are your priorities looking forward into this year?
1: Well, we, we like the MPA, have have gone global uh, in the last few years because, as Charlie correctly said, the industry has gone global, right? In 2019, uh, the last full grossing year of, of theatrical until next year, really – uh, the industry grossed $42 billion globally, and the United States was about $11.4 billion of that. And so we are indeed a global industry. And so our trade body now represents members who operate mo- movie theaters in 105 countries around the world. Um, and as part of that growth, both at dmpa and at NATO, we've worked very synergistically on the key priorities uh, of the broader industry. And, and piracy is clearly one of them. And the work that Charlie and his team at the MPA do in fighting piracy is, is extraordinarily important. Um, it's one thing when a pirate camcords a movie out of a movie theater, uh, that damages the industry. But then again, when a digital release happens and a pristine copy comes out, it damages the industry even more. And so the work that, that Charlie and his team do to, to combat piracy and to reduce it every day is important to his members and to ours. They've taken the lead on that issue, as with others. Uh, we appreciate very much partnering on the rating system and uh, lobbying governments together that we've done so well here and around the world. Uh, but we are looking forward to some new uh, developments on our side. And you mentioned the biggest development that we're launching at CinemaCon, which is the creation of the Cinema Foundation. Many trade bodies have, in addition to their trade organization, uh, a related foundation that supports the purpose of the trade organization, but can broaden out its mission. NATO will remain the lobbying arm of the Uh It's a 501c6 trade body, uh, but the foundation will take on many exciting new elements of service to the whole industry, such as research and development. And we're gonna spend a lot of time supporting Charlie's efforts on fighting piracy with research about piracy. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna research new innovations and technologies in the industry that can expand our business. What's the best way to show movies in the future? What other kind of content can we show in movie theaters? How are the food and beverage offerings uh, being developed, which have changed dramatically in the last ten years and we think they'll continue uh, to evolve. How can we support the industry's charities better that help out our own people in times of need? all of these things, uh, how can we recruit jobs? I missed the most important one we're launching with. Um, we wanna We want to do the research and the marketing that describes what a great career working in the movie theater industry and the movie industry at large can be. And so driving interest in careers in our business is a big part of the foundation too. Lots of other elements, but we're very excited. And, and uh, here at CinemaCon, you can learn a lot more about the launching of the foundation.
2: And at 7.45 a.m. on Wednesday, you'll be able to learn more about that NATO Cinema Foundation with Jackie Brenneman from NATO taking the stage and going over that concept and hosting a panel conversation with a couple of representatives from both exhibition and distribution on what those plans are looking like from that staffing perspective. Let's focus a little bit more on the piracy issue that that we spoke about uh, briefly with John. Charlie, uh, from your perspective over at the MPA, we know that piracy remains a persistent threat to the motion picture industry, both for member studios and for exhibitors, as well as consumers. What is the MPA doing to address this threat
0: and protect the creative economy? It's a huge problem. And I'm going to speak about it in my in my address at CinemaCon, because when we fight these pirates, we also help exhibitors, obviously. and. Um, But what I wanted to say about that, to add to John's comments, the six members of the Motion Picture Association, the six studios that make up our our association, the largest studios in the world, are the core of the Alliance for Creativity and Entertainment. And then we've added to that core Apple and Amazon. So it's a very, very strong core. And all in, we have about 40 companies around the world that are allied to fight this threat. And we've just launched a live tier that involves sports programmers. And we're gonna make a big announcement about our first member on that tier uh, in the coming days. Um, we've added members in Asia, Europe, in the Middle East, Africa. Um, it is a global, powerful force. Um, and we, what we've also done is we've teamed up with Interpol and Europol. And we're the first organization to have an embed with the Department of Homeland Security here in the United States uh, to make sure that we're fighting these guys. And, and we're winning. And just to give you a sense about, about um, when, I, when I say we're winning, um, in 2019, there were 1,400 illegal websites and streaming subscription services in North America alone, 1,400, and that was reduced to 200 in uh, just, uh, just last year. Uh, we're hoping to get that down to zero because of some of the laws that we were, were able to help uh, get passed here in the United States that make uh, uh, streaming, uh, stream ripping, stealing streams a felony. So we're getting closer. We're getting we're getting stronger. We're getting bigger by the day, and uh, and you know we're going to beat this. It's, it's too important to 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 do anything but um, win here.
3: This whole industry is has been through such a, a whirlwind, yo-yoing between the record-setting global box office that we had in 2019, and then. Obviously, 2020 being a crisis year for the industry. However, I mean, I, I think it's fair to say that recovery did start pretty strongly in 2021. That was the year that kicked off our recovery as an industry. Uh, over 21 billion in global admissions, more than 4 billion of which came from North America. Um, let's go with John first. How do you assess those figures in the context of the industry's recovery?
1: Well, those figures, though encouraging, uh, I don't think say much about the scope of the industry's recovery, uh, and that is it's remarkable to me that the numbers you just quoted actually existed in twenty twenty one, because of all the challenges that we faced. Uh, we were still facing cinema closures in some markets and capacity restrictions in others, uh, masking policies, and and we didn't have a full uh, slate of movies because it didn't make sense to the studios to release traditional theatrical movies. Uh, in the same vein, during that context, and so to me, those numbers are miraculous that that happened during a pandemic. The exciting thing now is we're starting to see numbers uh, in in the the period from from just last month till now uh, that are that are like the numbers we used to have in 2019. Right, this, these past two weekends we grossed about the same amounts that we grossed in those same weekends in 2019. And as we look at the schedule going forward, we think that's going to accelerate. Of course, there are some weekends that are stronger than others, but the total list of movies that we've got coming out, I mean, it's uh, Doctor Strange, Top Gun, Jurassic World, Lightyear, Minions, Thor, Black Adam, Black Panther, Avatar 2. Those are the blockbusters just in this calendar year, but it's not just big movies. It's also um, uh, smaller movies that really will have traction. I'm really looking forward to Babylon from uh, Damien Chazelle uh, from Paramount. Uh, the Fablemans, which is Steven Spielberg's semi-autographical project coming from Universal. A uh, Man Called Otto, uh, which is Tom Hanks' flick over at Sony. And then uh, Don't Worry Darling by Olivia Wilde, which is a Warner Brothers movie. My, my point is, as alluded to earlier, that we're seeing the kind of content now uh, that we couldn't see during the pandemic. And so I think the numbers you're going to see riding out the rest of this year are going to be incredibly strong. And this late in 2023 looks really strong too. So as encouraging as those numbers were in 2021, I don't think they're relevant to predict where we're going now that the industry's back.
0: John said it well. There's not there's not much more I can add. I, I just, you know, we'll say a couple things. I agree with him that 2021 is just the beginning of the industry's recovery. You can see it. John mentioned earlier that Spider-Man No Way Home was a third a highest grossing box-off film of all time. Take a moment and think about that. Of all time, in the middle of a pandemic, that's the kind of movies that, that's what people are going to see right now. Uh, I just read that um, that um, the Batman crossed the $750 million mark um, worldwide the other day. Um, I'm confident that audiences are going to continue to flock to the theaters. Great stories drive box office. You heard John's list. There's some great stories coming up. And the only thing I, I, I would um, add on to John's list is, an interesting statistic, last year, nearly 950 films entered production, which is a record high. It's 16% ahead of 2019 pre-pandemic. It's 40% greater than 2017 and almost double what happened during, during 2020. So this really is everything you want to know about this. We're just at the beginning of one of the strongest recoveries ever seen.
3: And Charlie, you mentioned a bit earlier about the changes that the MPA has seen uh, through your 100-year history. Uh, things like how now you represent streamers and uh, you're looking at international markets as well. You know, As the economic model around this business has evolved and as the MPA has evolved to keep pace with it, What role do you believe theatrical will play in the entertainment industry moving forward? And how do you think that theaters will look and feel in 10 years?
0: Well, I I just mentioned a minute ago about about two of the films about about Spider-Man No Way Home and about Batman. The entire entertainment industry is evolving. It's evolving um, from production to exhibition. But theaters remain integral and essential and important to everything that we've done as as essential as ever. And so I would say that when you look at successes like the films we've just been articulating, uh, obviously, there's more of that to come. Um, it's uh, it, it's clear that um, consumers want both. They wanna have great entertainment, they can watch it at home, they can watch it wherever they are, but they're gonna keep going back to the movies and we're thrilled about that. And John, from
2: your perspective, looking at all of the changes we're seeing here in exhibition from these premium amenities, from dynamic pricing, the whole economic model really is changing in more ways beyond the theatrical window than I think maybe is being talked about. So how do you think theaters will look and feel in the next decade?
1: Well, you're right that we will change how we offer choices to consumers in the next decade. And that's a lot of what the cinema foundation is about, right? Um, Looking for innovations in technologies and food and beverage services described earlier, but also looking at innovations of how cinema spaces are used. Uh, we, we will always have movies be our bread and butter. Uh, that's why they're called movie houses. Uh, but we'll start showing other kinds of content. Um, some of those streaming companies might want to premiere their, their television shows uh, in the cinema and vice versa. Um, and we've got gaming growing and we've got other ways that people come to watch live streaming of rock concerts or other types of content. So we're looking at everything Uh, as we emerge from this pandemic, that a movie house or cinema can do uh, to entertain customers and bring them together. Because the one thing that hasn't changed is that people as human beings always want to get out of their homes, gather together in a shared collective experience where they can hear and feel what their fellow human beings are hearing and feeling. Um, And the consumers have been starved for this during the pandemic. They are anxious and excited about coming back out and sharing and cultural experiences like movies at movie cinemas. And so the one thing that won't change is the shared collective experience has always been a great way to see a movie and is now again. But the, the sight and sound and the food and the seats and everything that we can offer to make it the most enjoyable experience, like you can't get at home, uh, are what we're going to continue to evolve.
5: To
3: close out, I mean, we're all extremely passionate about this industry, but I think uh, where it all comes from is we all just love movies. Uh, what good movies have you seen lately?
0: You know what? You're asking me a tough question because I love movies, just like just like you said a minute ago, Rebecca, that you love movies as well. I get to be a member of the Academy as long as I'm in this job. So I see Academy screenings in theaters. I, I see, I, I see um, as many movies as I possibly can digest. It's dangerous for me to talk about movies because I have six members that make extraordinary movies, and I hate to neglect any of them, but just literally off the top of my head, films that just stayed with me, Dune, which I thought was extraordinary, Power of the Dog, West Side Story, King Richard, Coda, uh, Encanto, um, uh, be, you know, Being the Ricardos, Spider-Man, Batman. And you know what I'm really looking forward to and I haven't seen yet is Top Gun, Uh, which I think is going to be absolutely extraordinary and uh, Jurassic World Dominion. It's, it's going to be incredible. Um, I, I can't wait. So I I literally, I've seen dozens and dozens and dozens of films and it's one of the best parts of my job.
1: Yeah. Equally difficult for me as it is for Charlie, (laughs) because you feel like you're going to leave some out. So I'll just use a couple as examples to prove different points. Right. Um, I, I thought that Spider-Man was one of the great uh, action hero movies uh, ever put together. And, I, and the fact that Sony uh, had the, the strength and insight to release that movie when it did and to claim a gigantic marketplace with what was both in terms of its story and in terms of uh, its cast and appeal – Just just a wonderful, gigantic blockbuster.
2: Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. And we look forward to seeing you guys on stage at the Coliseum during that State of the Industry Address. Thank you for joining us.
0: Look forward to it. Thank you, Daniel. Thanks, Rebecca.
2: And that is it for today's edition of Box Office Podcast Daily here from CinemaCon. Thank you so much to our guests, Maureen Suttle, John Fithian, and Charlie Rivkin, and to our co-hosts, Rebecca Pauly and Sean Robbins. I am Daniel Luria, and we will be back again tomorrow with another episode here, looking at everything happening this week in Las Vegas here from Caesars Palace, including tomorrow's interview with the 2022 NATO Marquee Award winner, Ellis Jacob, the CEO of Cineplex, Canada's largest circuit. Don't miss that in tomorrow's episode. The Box Office Podcast is produced by Box Office Pro in collaboration with The Box Office Company and Record Edit Podcast. Thanks again to our presenting partners this week, Ice Theaters. And we will be back again, as I mentioned, tomorrow morning with a new episode. Talk to you soon.